Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Good to be with you. Do me a favor, let's welcome everybody in Montgomeryville and online as loud as we can. What's up, everyone? Hope you're doing well. We're going to jump right into our, our message. We have two more weeks in this uh, parenting series. We call it Parenting Parents, and then Easter Sunday is upon us. I can't believe it. Uh, Easter is not supposed to be here already, but it is. And so uh, if you haven't gotten your ticket yet, made plans, we're going to do a three-day thing. We're going to have a Friday night uh, country music themed night for country fans. I don't know why people come to that. I found myself apologizing a lot last week to visitor, last year to visitors. It's not normally like this, right? And so, uh, but Friday night, and, and we're going to do something different this year. We're going to follow along in the story of Christ. So every day is going to be a different, a different message. And so I just felt like we, we should focus on the different aspects of the, of the story of Christ's last, last days on this earth. And so we're going to talk about the cross on, on, uh, on, on Friday night because it's country music and death, and it just fits well with country music. And so... <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about the stone and the significance of the tomb on, on, on Saturday night. We're going to do rock and roll, you guys. And so we're going to have rock and roll night. And then Sunday, straight gospel. We're going to have a choir here. Like, it's going to be an awesome day. I want to encourage you. I know it's weird to get tickets to come to church, and we would never turn anybody away. Uh, but seating is, is limited. And so we want to make sure we have enough seats, bring the right amount of seats in, take seats out if we don't need them for certain services. And so make sure you go online and get your tickets. If you're going to join us all three days, uh, you're more than welcome to. We have we have stuff for kids all three days. We want you to be here. We want you to invite people. You got, you got, you live in Bordertown or Gilbertsville or Country Night for you, right? Rock Night, whatever, like Phoenixville Gospel, right? And so, like, and just invite people, man. We're gonna have a good time uh, that 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 weekend. And so, we we're gonna spend the, the next two weeks uh, talking, uh, finishing through this series. I wish I could keep going because I have a lot more I, I'd like to talk about. Uh, but we're gonna stop at Easter. We're gonna start something something new. Uh, we've been talking about parenting learning from how God parented Jesus. And so we should mimic and try to follow the example of, of our perfect heavenly father in the life of Christ and then apply it to, to our kids' lives. And so we talked the first two weeks through Luke, the story of Jesus being in the temple. First week, I told you, your main job, success, get your kids to the Father's house, get them into God's presence, let him do what he needs to do. Uh, last week, I talked about expectations, having some expectations for your kids. I, I showed you the verse again in a different translation where Jesus said, I got to be about my father's business. There was a divine responsibility in his life. Uh, we're going to end next week talking about the significance of time, time. Uh, but today is, is the one that I think is the, is the hardest, the most difficult for people to apply in their kids' lives because the majority of parents that I know are very good-natured, loving people. Like, they, they want what's best for them. Would you agree for their kids? Would you agree with me? Like, like, if their kids need something, most parents you meet will bend over backwards to meet their kids' needs. Am I, am I preaching right? Okay, so you have to preach to me a little bit. And so, 
So this is the way we are. Like if our our kids, early on, if our kids fall and they get a boo-boo, what do we naturally do? We pick them them up. We put a Band-Aid over. We know the Band-Aid's not going to help, right? It's actually a waste of money, but we put it on there anyways. And because that's what parents do. If our kids are struggling in a sport and they're not getting the right calls from a young age, who are we yelling at? The ref, right? It's the ref's fault. Right? If they're not coach, get, if the coach's fault, it's not my kid's fault, we're going to swoop in and do that. Uh, how many times have, have, as a parent have you seen your kids struggling in a friend group and you take them out of that friend group, you find them new friends or you find them a different school or it, it gets kind of out of control sometimes as a parent, you don't get the right teacher so you call your kid's teacher and say, you've got to change your teaching thing and I've got to put my kids in a different class or we, we just kind of, we are always kind of around our kids trying to make sure that every need is met, every scratch is itched, every band Booba has a band-aid, like just naturally, because we're good-natured people, most of us, we want to help our kids in whatever way that, that, that we can. I think about my parents and how difficult it must have been to raise me and watch me go through difficult times as, as a parent. I, I know what it feels like as a parent now, but I thought about my parents and some of the moments where I was going through difficult moments, and I just thought to myself, as a parent, I struggle with watching my kids struggle. Anybody else? I struggle with watching my kids go through any amount of difficulty. You can't open that, let me open that for you. You can't reach that, let me grab that for you. It's too hard for you, let me do that for you. You don't want to do it, I'll do it. It's easier anyways for me to do it, right? Like it's just a struggle to watch my kids struggle. In fact, they come up with a, with a term for, for me and you, the, the parents that struggle with this, and I think a lot of parents do, they call snowplow parents. You know what a snowplow parent is? We, we, we're a helicopter parent. I'm not, I don't want to be a helicopter parent, right? Snowplow parents, they, 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 they plow over any difficult situation that may ever come in their kids' lives. Snowplow parents. I get rid of any difficulty in my kids' life. If, it, if they struggle, I'm going to make it easier. If, 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 if they're facing adversity, I'm going to be there to protect them. If somebody's bullying them, I'll beat a six-year-old up. You know what I'm talking about? If, if, if they're not on the right team, I'll find a different team. If they get cut from one travel team, I'll find a travel team down the road, right? I'll get them on something. I'll find something where they succeed. If they don't like the teacher, I'll get them a new teacher. You don't like the school, I'll get you a new school. You don't like the world, I'll get you new world, right? Like, I'll do whatever I got to do. I struggle with struggle. I'll plow over any difficulty in your life. And I got, it comes from a really good place. But I would argue it's the wrong way to parent. This is where I'm going to lose some of you. Remember I told you, you have to parent your kids the way God parented his son. He's a perfect parent. And here's a newsflash for you and me. You are not. You don't have it all figured out. You're, you're not succeeding where everybody else has failed. Your kids are going to need a counselor like everybody else needs a counselor when they get older, right? Your, your family's going to have problems. Your kids aren't going to think you were fair. Your oldest kid's going to think you were easiest to your younger kid. And let's be honest, you are. <laughs> you gave up, right? You're like, I can't do it anymore. Eat the ice cream. Oh, we were just talking about it. Your oldest kid's like, I didn't taste ice cream until I was 16 years old, right? He's three months old. He wanted it, right? And, You're not a perfect parent. You're flawed. You're figuring things out. You're messing up. You're asking for forgiveness. But you do have a perfect example of what a parent looks like. And you should emulate your life after him. So here's the question. Did the Heavenly Father ever allow Jesus to struggle? Did the Heavenly Father, so we don't know a lot about 
Jesus' life before he turned 30. I gave you a little bit last week, 12 years old, went to the temple, got lost by his parents, three days came back and got home. Like that, that's, that's, we know very small details about his life, but we pick the story of Jesus up when he's 30 years old. Here's how it starts. The very first thing he does when you find, when you find the story of Jesus as a 30-year-old man, he goes and he gets baptized in the Jordan River. Really, really important from heaven, the words of his heavenly father, this is what they say. He says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I don't have time to talk to you about the significance of God's word in your kid's life, but God is establishing in the life of Jesus, before you do anything significant on this side of eternity, before you walk on water, turn water into wine, feed 5,000 people, start a preaching ministry, call disciples, before you do anything, before people turn their back on you, put you on your cross, I want you to remember you're my son and I'm well pleased. No matter where you go, that's an identity sermon. sermon. I don't have time for that today because I want to move forward, but it's really important. So Jesus his father says, I'm pleased with you. I, I, I love you. I want to be with you. But I want you to notice, just because his father's pleased and just because he's perfect doesn't mean Jesus won't struggle. Doesn't mean that his heavenly father will step in and say, because I love you, because I'm into every detail of your life, that I'm not going to let you go through any moments of suffering and struggle. And here's how we know this. The very next part of his story is a moment of struggle. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit. I want, you to, I want to come back to this in a second. I want to read the details of what the Bible says, but I want to focus on verse 1. The Bible says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. There's a detail in there, Matthew, we probably didn't need to know because we would understand that, right? He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I want you to notice right here something interesting. Satan begins to quote scripture because Satan knows more scripture than you. He knows how to twist it. He knows how to turn it, right? Watch what he says. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered, it is also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. I'm going to give you all this. He said, if you bow down and worship me, Jesus said, Again, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended. Let me ask you something. Not eating for 40 days and 40 nights and then at the end of it being met by your greatest adversary and enemy. You think this was a tough moment in his life? I want you to think about your most difficult month you've had. I bet you ate. I bet it didn't end. In the moment of you starving and literally being hungry, Satan having an interaction with you. I want you to notice something really interesting in this. I want to take it back, and I'm being slow because I want to be dramatic because I want you to get this. I want you to see what it says in very, very first, in verse number one. The Bible says that Jesus, can you bring that back up from real fast in Matthew 4? This word stuck out to me this week. Jesus was, everybody tell me what that word says, was led. Jesus was, say it again doesn't say he wandered, doesn't say he tripped, doesn't say he accidentally went there, doesn't say that this was outside of God's will for his life. What does it say? He was what? Everybody say it again. He was led. That the good, perfect father 
after he says, I'm well pleased with you, led him into struggle. Here's why this is so important. You and me, even if you're not a parent, every time we struggle, every time we go through difficulty, every time that, that the stuff gets man, bigger than we could imagine, are we not tempted to say, God, where are you? God, where are you in this? Could it be that God is with you, but he's taken you into that struggle? He, he's led you into it. We get in the way. We keep our kids from struggle. Could God want to be taking their life somewhere, but he can't take their life somewhere until we make something of them, and he needs to lead them into struggle? I want you to notice what it says in the very next part of Scripture after he's tempted. Verse number 17 from, says, from that time on, Jesus began. Everybody tell me what that word says. Began to what? It's like he needed to go through pain to get ready to preach. It's like he needed to go through the wilderness to get ready for the ministry that God had for, for his life. It's that, I, don't, I, I couldn't think of anything else better than the theology of the first karate kid. You know what I'm talking about? It's the most theologically deep movie in the world. It's Passion of the Christ, Karate Kid, right? One, two, close second. It teaches you so much, you giggle, but just think about it. He moves across the country. He lives with his mom in an apartment. He's getting the crap kicked out of him by, 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 by Cobra Kai, right? He doesn't know karate. He, his path is, is, is crossed with Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi takes him under his wing. He doesn't have a father in the picture. He teaches him how to wax on, wax off. He teaches him how to paint. He gets, gets him on that post in the middle of the ocean. He does the crane kick, right? He teaches him how to cut bonsai trees and all this stuff. And you think about it. You get to the end of the movie and all all the things that he went through, it was almost like he was being led and prepared for that moment. I understand, I understand how hard it is to let your kids struggle. What I'm not talking about is keeping them safe. I'm not like, hey, let them go up there and jump. They'll, they'll learn their lesson, right? How'd your kid break his leg? I let him jump from the monkey bars. You said let them struggle, right? <laughs> jump them up. No, I actually haven't been to the doctor yet. We're just going to let it heal on its own, right? And so... What I'm not saying is keep your kids from being safe. It's not a safety thing, right? Protecting our kids from danger is different from keeping our kids from struggling. One is about safety. The other keeps them, if you don't let them go through struggling, through future success. Because all great success in this life involves moment of struggle. All great success in this life involves moment of struggle. So I called this message struggling with struggle, but if I had a subtitle, it would be as a parent, but even as a Christian, not just a parent. Some of you are single or you're married and you don't have kids yet, and you've been through some moments with God or you're wondering what's going on, and I want to give this a second title. So struggling with struggle, title B, 1A, 1B, whatever, is embracing strategic struggle in your life. Embracing strategic struggle in your life. Let me just give you a few thoughts. You can apply this anywhere. Married, uh, single, without kids, with kids, anywhere. But specifically talking about your kids today. Number one is this. Is your refusal could lead to their resentment. Your refusal to let them go through struggle, ultimately, if you're not careful, will lead to their resentment. Let me just, let me just break this down for you. So they did a study years ago. And uh, we oftentimes come to the conclusions of how God is and who God is and what his character is based on our interactions with our earthly parents. Did you know that? Specifically fathers. 
I'm not belittling the role of a mother, and I know there's single moms here, and you're going to have to play both roles in your kids' lives, and, and I get it. But they did a study specifically on the role of the man in a kid's life when it comes to them understanding the character of God. And here's what they found. Whatever your earthly father was like, oftentimes that's how you assume God is. So if you had an earthly father who was absentee, who was distant, who didn't want you, didn't want, wasn't around, how do you see God? You know, he don't care about me. If you had a relationship with your father or your mother, let's just put both of you in there, where they were very impatient with you, how do you think you see God? I'm a mess. He don't want to spend time fixing me. I'm, he's impatient with me. If you have a, a relationship with your parents where they uh, were yellers, they constantly yelled, but they, they were yelling and telling you everything that was wrong with you. Anybody ever get into this habit as a parent where you're like, everything I said to my kid today was something they were doing wrong because they won't stop doing wrong things. And you take an evaluation, like, did I say anything kind to them? I, I think I said good morning in a kind tone. I don't remember. But from there, it was downhill, right? If you have a relationship with your parent, and every word is loud and condescending and finding something wrong with you, how many of you know it's really hard for you to accept grace in, in God's presence? You just feel the, the weight. You feel shame in your life. Like, so however you see, you see God, you see your parents, you see God. So let me just flip it around. Some of you think you're doing a great job because you keep your kid from all types of struggling, anything, like legitimately anything that they struggle with, you swoop in and you take it from them. You are showing them who God is in your character. Let me ask you something about your own life. Does God keep you from all struggle? Let me ask you again, some of you for the back, you're like, I don't know what, what does God keep you from pain all the time? There you go. Montgomeryville, this, does God keep you from suffering? No, in fact, the more that you follow God, the, 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 the more that you seek him, the, the more that you obey him, the Bible says in this world you're going to have troubles, that you're going to go through things. And so we serve a perfect father. We know that because it says it in Matthew 5. Jesus says it. Watch what he says. Matthew 4, he goes and gets tempted. He goes and preach. And Matthew 5, he wants to remind us, knowing what he just went through, that we should be perfect because our heavenly father is perfect. We have a perfect heavenly father that allows us to struggle and allows us to go through pain and allows us to go through moments where it feels like we're not in control and allows us to go through moments where we don't have all the questions and to, the, to the answers we want and allows us sometimes to feel like we're all alone even though we're not really all alone because he's always with us and allows us to ever been confused by God. You're like, this doesn't make sense. He allows all that to go on and we know that as adults, but what are you conveying to your kids? A good father, a perfect mother, people who care about you never let you go through any type of strain. And the problem is when they get outside of your care and outside of your wing and outside of your control, and honestly, what do you want for them? You want them to experience the grace and the goodness of God, and they begin to follow God, and they hear a message about, hey, he's a good, good father, and run to the father, and they listen to all this, and they start going through something that's bad, what are they going to think? He's not a good father because I had good Christian parents and they never let me struggle. They kept me inside a bubble. I breathed perfect Christian air. Nothing bad ever happened to me. They said it. They fixed every problem. They made me get A's when I actually earned D's. They put me on different teams. They did all these things to make me never struggle. That was what good parents are, so he can't be a good father. And they're actually going to develop some, one of the work. They're going to be resentful. They're going to go, I, I, I can't believe God would treat me like that. Number two is this, real important. Number two is your constant intervention will lead to long-term issues. 
Your constant intervention, this is not a biblical point as much as it is just a common sense studied point. In fact, I read an article these past weeks that said constant intervention leads to long-term issues. When you constantly get into their life and keep them from failure, you actually keep them from success because failure is part of what? Some of you are like, I don't know. What is it part of? <laughs> Failure is part of success. Have you ever, you ever interested? Study every great business in this world. Study Walt Disney. Study all, all these men, these women that have started these amazing companies. They didn't show up and make magic. Right? It came through failure. It came through stepping out and being willing to look like a fool. It, it, it came through messing up. Failure is part of success. If you never allow your kids to struggle and face failure and face rejection, you are actually causing them long-term issues. In fact, I read a book. It was called The Gift of Failure. The Gift of Failure. This article about the, the gift of failure. I said I read a book. It was an article. I didn't read the book. And so I don't want to lie to you. It's church, right? And so... It's called The Gift of Failure, and in it, this lady who was a middle school teacher and had kids said she realized that kids were different today. They wielded in the face of challenge. They didn't love to learn anymore. He said, parents took grades personally, bad grades. You ever been there? You're like, you're doing bad. I must be an idiot, and then you realize you're the idiot, and so everybody, you didn't study. Everybody is unhappy. And so she said, they, she read about this article this psychologist did one time where they put, I want you to find yourself in there. They put moms and their kids in a room and watch them interact. Some of the moms they classified, I want you to find yourself in here as controlling, controlling. Some of the moms they classified as autonomy supportive, which means they Gave the kids room to figure themselves out and figure their, their things out on their own. So you had some that controlled, you knocked the blocks over, let mom put them back up. You can't figure out how to put the square in the square because you're trying to put the square in a circle, but that's, you know, your problem. Let me help you with that. Oh, let me give you this. Oh, you knocked your drink over. You need a drink. Oh, let me, let me hold your hand. Let me do it for you. Like, and then you had other moms that were like, figure it out. I got to check Facebook, right? And so... You just figure it out. And here, here's, here's, what, here's, what they, here's what they found. It was so interesting. Then they left and they brought just the kids back in. And they gave, they gave the kids a problem, something that was going to be difficult at first for them to figure out on their own. And the results were ridiculously striking and different. He said the children who had controlling mothers, when they were faced with this obstacle, with the task they could not master quickly, they quit. They They quit. I can't do this. I'm never going to do this. Mom says I can't do it. That's why she does it for me. I quit. The moms, the, the kids that had the moms that were there to support, but from a distance, when they gave them the same problem, they weren't smarter. They weren't better educated. They weren't more talented. They, they just had a mom that said, you can figure it out. How do I know I can figure it out? Because mom has showed me through letting me struggle that I have the ability inside of me to figure it out. So they worked and they worked and they worked and some of them never even figured out and they just kept on working, right? No parent, I put this in my notes, no parent enjoys seeing their kids get into messes. Nobody. But you know what's worse than watching a kid get into a mess? Creating a kid who can't get out of one. Raising a kid who get because we, are they going to get in a mess at some point? <laughs> some of you forgot what type of teenager you were. The Bible says you reap what you sow, and you reap more than you sow. So some of you, that sucks for you. 
My dad told me one time, he said, I can't wait till you have kids someday. I'm just going to sit back and cross my arms and laugh. And I found myself saying that to my wife in the car on the way to church today. I said, I can't wait for these kids to have kids someday. I can't wait to laugh. You reap what you sow and you get more than, right? And so, like, so I'm just telling you, you get your kid. And so what do you do? You let your kids struggle. You let your kids experience rejection. That, what? You, you let your kid experience rejection. You never condone a victim mentality. You never condone, a teacher just has it out against me. Well, when was that due, son? Well, it was due two weeks ago. That's why you have an F. Well, can you call the teacher and ask you how many, how many times my kids don't have something done in school and their teacher's like, what do you want us to do? You want us to give them more time? No. I don't want you to give them more time. I want them to do what they're supposed to do when they do it. But my life is so hard. I'm like, bro, you wake up. That's, your, that's the, the extent of the hardest part of your day. You eat food that was not bought by you, not prepared by you, go to school, and you're taught by teachers that don't get paid enough. Can I get an amen? They got to put up with you all. I don't want to put up with you for eight hours a day. You're coached by people who don't get enough money. Everything about your life is a blessing. You don't get to be a victim yet. That's when you're an adult, right? And so... Let me give you two more. You're not allowed to be a victim when you're an adult. Some of you are like, oh, write that down, right? Here's the number three. You'll become a deterrent, a deterrent to God's development. You'll, you'll become a deterrent. When you have a, a mentality for parenting, when you constantly take struggle out of your kids' lives, you'll become a deterrent to the way God develops people. And here's how. God develops people through struggle. He produces fruit in, in, in the valley. That's what he does. Like, God has a purpose and plan for your kids. It's outside of you. It's bigger than you. Some of you, you're type A. You've been planning out your kids since they were like six weeks old. You had their school they were going to go to. You already have their spouse picked out for them. You're strategically hanging out with the right couple right now, right? They do on a home group this session, right? And so like, you got their whole life planned out. But I, I just want, you're like, you're, listen, your plan for your kids does not measure up to God's plans for them. That's scary because you don't have any control of God's plan. Like when you say, when you, you don't know if you ever heard the story of, of Hannah when she gives Samuel, she wanted a baby for so long and then she gave Samuel back to God and then God took Samuel and he lived in the temple with, 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 with the priest Eli and was raised up to be the prophet. How difficult would it have been for Hannah because she prayed for that kid for so long, she wanted to hold on to that kid, but the job of a parent is not to hold on to what's not yours in the first place. You're called to be a steward of, of that child. And so you are called to push them towards the plans of God, knowing that his purpose and plan is bigger than yours. And there's things inside of their life that you cannot pull out because you did not put them in there. Only God can. And the way that he gets them prepared to handle uh, to, to the, the call that he has for their life, to be able to handle it, is taking them through seasons, oftentimes, of struggle and difficulty. We think oftentimes that we're taking them from something, but really what we're doing is we're taking them away from God, and in that season, he's trying to make something out of them. It's like the old, the old parable, the old Native American parable about the butterfly. You ever hear this story? I love this story. Uh, one day, this Native American uh, man was watching uh, this butterfly come out of this cocoon, cocoon right? Right, just struggling. I'm not a scientist. I don't really know how it works, but I know that they have a big body that has to get through a little opening. You guys ever see that? And so they struggle their way out. And he was watching this, this butterfly struggle for what seemed like hours, and his heart broke. His heart broke because he's a kind man. 
And he went over to the, the opening of the cocoon, and he just made it a little bit bigger. He just opened it a little bit bigger. And that butterfly struggle was less. And eventually the butterfly fell out. But instead of the butterfly falling and flying, the butterfly fell to the ground and tried to flap its wings, but its wings were, were too heavy. The Native American man said, I don't know what happened. I helped him. I made it easier on him. I didn't mean to hurt him. And another man came by and said, well, here's what happens. That butterfly in the cocoon, his body is filled with fluid. And that, that hole, that, that size of that hole is there on purpose because as he's struggling with his body to get out of that cocoon, the fluid that's in his body is going to the wings. That fluid that's necessary for the wings to be able to fly is going there. And so that, that process of that struggle and that time frame is needed so that butterfly can fly. But you made it easier and now he has too much fluid in his body and his wings don't work. I wonder how many of us get in the way of God's process and we clip our kids' wings without even knowing it. Let me ask you something. Some of you Bible people. Is there a Daniel without a den? Is there a David without a Goliath? Is there a Noah without the... Yeah, some of you good. Is there Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego without the... First service was like, I don't even know, right? Some mom was like, I'm going to name my kid Shadrach. I'm pregnant, right? <laughs> There's a furnace. All those things were put in their life to get them prepared. Do not become a deterrent to what God wants to do in your kids' lives. In fact, the Bible says in James 1, I love this verse, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I want you to put this, consider it pure joy. My parents, when your kids face trials of many kinds. Because, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete and not like nothing. What is the one thing that James says that you need to become who God has called you to be? What do you need? Perse Some of you persevere. You stop listening. <laughs> Persevering ears, right? Perseverance doesn't say happy life, doesn't say vacations, doesn't say big room, doesn't say nice sweet 16 party, doesn't say fancy first car, doesn't say travel team. What does it say? You need perseverance. If you ask me why so many Christians quit on God, you know what it is? They don't got perseverance. Why you quit on your marriage? You don't got perseverance. Why'd you give up in that call of your life? You don't have perseverance. Man, one thing your kids need, what do they need? But they don't get perseverance unless they struggle. Unless they go through some stuff. Do not get in the way of God developing your kids. Let me just give you one more thought. Number four, last one, really important, really important. You're getting in the way of God having a chance to grab their attention. You're getting in the way of God having a chance to grab their attention. Let me ask you something real fast. Some of you grew up in church. You've been in church your whole life. Um, if I said, hey, when did you meet Christ? You would just say, I was born into this, which... It's really sad, actually. And so you're not born into faith. You're reborn into faith. You understand what I'm saying? It's not, it doesn't count. Like some of you, I meet people, they're like, yeah, my mom's a Methodist. I'm like, okay. I'm Italian. What's, I don't know what that is, right? <laughs> what does that mean? You're going to get buried there someday? Okay, that's great, right? And so like, you, you are reborn into faith. You're, you're born a sinner, and you realize you need a Savior, and you ask him to come into your life, and you are reborn into faith through the grace of God, right? Now I want to ask you something. Those of you who met God later on in life, did you meet God when everything was going well? 
Honest question. Once you think about it, what, were you like, everything was perfect. You had the girl, a guy of your dreams, a perfect job, right? Every possession you could ever want, all these opportunities. You're like, you know what I'll add to my life? Jesus. How'd you meet God? Well, I'll give you, I'll give you classic examples of how I know people meet God. Uh, you were addicted to drugs and you have tried everything to not be addicted. And the truth is you were still addicted because addiction was just a band-aid over what really was hurting you. And that was an ailment of the soul. A hurt, a pain, an anger, a, a, a confusion of what had been gone. You were just nursing that pain and you got tired of it. You tried everything else and then you met Christ and you realized that he's the addiction breaker because he's the heart changer. And you met Christ. Some of you, your marriage was falling apart. You were, it was done. You were having affairs like it was falling apart. And you were like, man, this is not working. We are not supposed to feel this way, right? And you came into this place. Some people I know came into this place on the brink of divorce. And the one who puts people back together that are in pieces, they meet Jesus in that moment and their marriage and their life has changed. Maybe you were struggling with anger, you came to church. Maybe you were struggling with resentment, you came, you came to church. May, may, I don't know what your situation is, but I know for most people, they meet God uh, when, when, they're, when they're in a low spot. Am I, am I right? Okay, so if that's how you meet God, and you take your kids out of every difficult moment in their life, how do you expect them to meet God? It's a real question. If you sweep, swoop in and take them out of every situation where they're bullied, where they're cut, where they're rejected, where it's not fair, where it's more difficult, where they got to be on a team, where they sit the bench because they're not starting, because the coach doesn't see their potential. Every time they get a job, the boss isn't fair. They're not respecting and honoring them. Every situation, if you swoop in every time, every time it gets difficult and you come in and you, burr, 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 here comes your savior. Because that's what I hear. That's, that's, my, that's, my, that's the one instrument I can play. It's called, right? it's called the hand horn, right? And so, and you swoop in and you make it easy and you fix it. Okay, we fix it. Okay, you're safe again. And then they get older and older and older. And you're like, why don't you have a relationship with God? Well, you've taken every moment and every opportunity and every situation in their life away from them. And you actually are getting in the way of God doing the very thing he did in your life, grabbing a hold of your, 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 your attention. In fact, think about it. How can they meet the one who is trustworthy if you never allow them to be in a situation where they feel uneasy? Think about it. How, how can they meet the one who brings peace if you never allow them to be in a storm? How's it going to happen? How can they meet the one who will meet their needs if you never allow them to experience a moment of want? How can they meet the one who will never leave them if you never allow them to be in a situation where they feel all alone? How can, you, how can they meet the one who brings comfort if you take them out of every uncomfortable situation that they will ever face? How can they meet the one who works through their failures if you take them away from every consequence from this life? How? In fact, Paul said this. I love this in, uh, in one of his epistles in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. He's like, I, I don't want this. We don't really know what he was struggling with, but we know the Bible says that the apostle Paul was going through some stuff, and he asked God to take it away. But here's how God responded. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake... I delight in weakness, he says. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
are you getting in the way of God grabbing their attention? Struggle is significant. It's important. It's strategic. In fact, uh, as I was wrapping up this week, I was on Facebook, you know, wasting time. And so I was wasting time on Facebook. And uh, my friend from college uh, put this post of an of a oyster and how oysters make pearls. And usually I wouldn't read it because I hate seafood. And so, but I clicked on it. You know, you got to click on it to read it. And it said, oysters make pearls through uh, healed wounds. Did you know that? They have this substance inside of them called, a, called nacre. I think that's how you pronounce it. And uh, what will happen is, is an oyster uses that as protection from a, a, a grain of sand or a substance, a parasite. They'll get into the oyster and the nacre will surround, this, this, this substance will surround the grain of sand or, or surround the parasite and use it to form a, a pearl. So a pearl is a, is a healed wound. The more pearls that an oyster has, the more, what is it? more valuable that it is. So I started thinking, man, what a powerful reminder, spiritual, scriptural reminder of what we want our kids to have. I want my kids to be filled with pearls from God. Amen. I want them to be, to be equipped. I want them to have everything they need to accomplish what he call, needs them to accomplish. And here's what I'm reminded. Sometimes I got to get out the way of being ultra perfect, protecting dad. Itching every scratch, opening up every door, getting in the way of every bully, allowing God to move in, in their life because it's not long. I, I remember old, old, older people used to tell me, I mean older, I mean wiser people. Wiser people used to tell me, hey, it goes fast and your kids are going to be out of your house. And here I am, 43 years old. I got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old and I have just a few more years. And people keep saying, you don't ever talk about Harrison. He's nine. I still got a long time with him, right? That's a whole different sermon. And so, but you got 15 and 30, and it's going, it's going fast. What I want them to know God. How can they know God? They know God through struggle. And they know God through going through some stuff. Some of you, I want you to reevaluate because I think, I think if, I, if I'm honest with you, the one thing I see parents doing, and we struggle, we struggle. We struggle. My kid, is my kid crying? I need to help them. They didn't need this. I need to move them. I need to do this. I need to open up this door for them. And I'm just telling you, sometimes you can just step back and you can let the Holy Spirit do a work that you can never do. You can never orchestrate. You're not that good. Once again, when you say that to yourself, at first it feels offensive, but what is it really? It's relieving. Because the future of my kid's life is not in my hands. That is where you amen. It's in God's hands. He's a perfect father. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Some of you, 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 as I preach, you see yourself. When I say controlling, that's you, man. You want to control everything. Controlling is the opposite of, of God. It's the opposite of God. He's in control. You're not. In fact, the more you try to control, the more stressed out you're going to be. So just, let's just stop. Some of you, it's a prayer of repentance. I'm sorry, God, that I've tried to be in control of my kids. I'm sorry that I thought that their future was in my hands. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that their future is in your hands. That'd be really bad news for some of you because you don't have your parents. Or they're gone, gone, and then they messed you up. Hey, man, if the weight of success in a kid's life was tied to their parents, the gospel is pretty weak for the most part in the life of adults. Because a whole lot of people meet God coming outside of situations that are abusive and neglectful. And God steps into their life and changes them. So there's a relief here. I can let go of, of, of control and I can let God be God. And when he's God, I'll see him. Man, sometimes he's going to lead my kids into the valley of the shadow of death. But they're going to realize that they fear no evil for he is with them.
He's with them. But how can they know he's with them if you constantly get in the way? If you constantly intervene? Some of you, it's small things. Man, I, I, every time I ask my kid to do something, they, I, I, they don't do it as good as I want to do it. And I get in the way and I, I take the struggle away from them. And you just, man, you're just, I'm just going to let them do it. And here's the thing. Here's what I've had to remind myself. When you have little kids and they do things that, that they're not good at, they're not going to do it right. And you're going to get mad and you're going to want to do it yourself. But sometimes it's better to have a messy house that looks unkept than it is to have dysfunctional adults. So I'm going to let them, I'm going to, I'm going to, learn, to, I'm going to learn to not be so, so dramatic about this stuff and so Pinterest-minded, right? And I'm just going to let this be. As they get older, I'm going to let my kids go through some struggles. Some of you have a kid on a team, and you've been calling the coach every week. You're not seeing their potential. You're not putting them in. Man, there's something significant that happens when you ride the pine. You ride it with dignity. You ride it, ride it with grace. You become the best teammate you can be in practice. There's something significant that happens. When you can perform when no eyes are on you, you can handle the stress and the weight when all eyes are on you. It's okay. Some of your kids got looked over for a part, ran, and it's, it's, they didn't see their potential. And you're, you want to call the, the person who's doing the play and say, hey, what happened? They didn't get it. Explain yourself to me. You don't got to do that. Is God in control or not? Is he in control or not? Is he sovereign? Is he all-knowing? Is he all-powerful or not? We'll say it about ourselves, but man, it's hard with our kids. So I'm going to let them go through some struggle, some rejection. I'm going to let them go through some pain. I'm going to let that happen in their life because I believe God wants to develop them. He's in control. Some of you in this place, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is a message for you because some of you have been through some stuff in your life and you've wondered, why would a good God allow me to go through that? Why would a good God... You talk about how good he is and how loving he is. If his eyes were on me, why would he allow me to go through that? And I can't answer that for you. But I can tell you that's how he works. I can tell you that he develops through destruction. That he calls. That he brings things out when it feels like it's, it's busted in our lives. That he helps us to develop eyes that see what other people don't see and hands and feet that care about what other people don't care about through moments that we go through. That's where we get compassion in our lives. Some of you care about things. You don't, nobody else cares about it. You see things nobody else sees in your life. You're like, why do I see that? Because God allowed you to go through things in your life. And so he's changed who you are as a person. And he's about to reveal that to you because he's about to use your life. He builds ministries through misery. I've seen that in my own life. There's things that I care about as a pastor, that the reason I care about them is because of moments of misery in my past that made me go, man, I see this. I care about this. Now it makes sense. So the first step, listen, the only thing that makes it better, right, all the answers in the world, at this point, sometimes they don't matter, is trust it's trust. That's what makes it better. I'm going to put my trust in God. He loved me enough to step out of eternity and come to this earth. And Jesus Christ died on the cross. He placed himself on the cross that I should have been on. The Bible says that he paid the price for my sin. That he shed his blood. That he did it freely for me. That he took my shame and my pain and my forgiveness on his very body. The Bible says that he was placed in a tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And not only does he forgive sins, but he defeats death and hell. And if he was willing to do that, you can trust him. You can try to trust you with my life. That's where a relationship with God starts. You don't have it all figured out. 
I'm not going to answer every question that you have. It starts with trust. I'm going to place my trust and my life in your hands. I'm going to believe in what the pastor's saying. He says, you're good. I don't even understand that yet, but I believe that. I've tried to do this on my own, and it hasn't worked. And man, I, I, I want to understand. I want to see God work. I, I want to see God move. I want to see God use my life. I want there to be purpose from this pain. It starts with trust. I trust you with my life. I believe in you with my heart. Jesus, today I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart in that message, that Jesus will come into your life. That'll meet you right here in this moment. You know what's cool? Uh, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we have a first service here in Phoenixville. And so, uh, but even for Montgomeryville, at the end of every uh, 8 o'clock service, because there's a lot of uh, senior saints in that service, if I could call them that, they don't know, and so they're not here. And so, but I ask them every service, I say, listen, a lot of you know Christ here, but somebody's going to be sitting in the very seat that you're, you were sitting in. And let's pray that God spiritually warmed up that seat with his presence to meet that person. And they didn't know you, but I remember the seats they were sitting in. And some of you are sitting in those exact seats right now. And God's knocking at the door of your heart. And he's been here waiting to meet you for longer than you can imagine if you would just respond to him. God, I'm struggling God, I need you. God, I don't know what else to do. God, I'm struggling with resentment. It's been hard for me to find purpose in this. God, this pain has seemed overwhelming in my life, but today I'm going to put my trust in you. I've tried everything else. God, I believe you're the author and perfecter of my faith, that you've written out my story from beginning to end. And so today I want to trust you, Jesus Christ. I want to pray with you as we close, maybe as I've been speaking the spirit of the living God is knocking at the door of your heart. I can tell you what it felt like for me when I met Christ. It's just burning in my chest. I just knew that God was there. It didn't even matter who was on the stage, and it didn't matter who was around me. I just knew that I was in the room with God. I could feel his presence. I knew that I needed him, and I responded in that moment. I said, Jesus Christ, you can be my Lord and my Savior, and I've never turned back. It's been the best decision that I've ever made. So if you're in this place, I would be honored. I'd be honored to lead you in a prayer to Jesus today. I want you to do something for me. If that's you all over this place, front to back, side to side, here in Montgomeryville, nobody looking around. Church people, don't you dare peek. You just pay attention to yourself. Pray for yourself. Think about your kids. But if you don't know Christ, and you need to all over this place. Nobody's, nobody's paying attention to you. This is just you and God. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. That's why I'm here today. Do me a favor all over our houses. Would you just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, Jesus Christ, I need you to heal me. I need you to make me whole. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? Another hand right here. I need you to forgive me. If you're in the balcony, would you just keep your hand held high just for a second? Jesus Christ, I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. Bible says you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and he'll meet you right here in this moment. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else who would say, hey, Pastor Steve, that's me. Would you begin to pray with me? Everybody repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for this day. Jesus, I believe you're real and you're meeting me right here. Today, I put my trust in you. I believe in you. I know you died on the cross for my sins and I believe on the third day, that you rose in power. And so it's through you, Jesus, that today I'm a brand new person. My past is gone and my future is secure. Today I, I live my life with purpose. Thank you for your love. 
Thank you for your peace. And thank you for your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Now one more time all over this place. We just pray for the parents. For those that are raising kids, Lord, in this, this crazy world. Lord, that we would lean into your word. Lord, no matter if our kids are teenagers or toddlers. Whatever they are. From toddlers to teenagers. So many times we waste it. We got, we got time to figure it out. Start figuring it out when they're little. From toddlers to teenagers, even to college age kids, Lord. Lord, that we commit ourselves to raising our kids the way that you raise us. To pointing our kids towards you. So that I know that it's hard. This one's hard. It's hard to let our kids struggle. It's hard to not intervene. It's hard to not take away pain. But Lord, we're going to parent like you parent. We're going to see purpose in pain. We're going to let it bring our kids closer to you because ultimately they're your kids. Those are your kids. And Lord, we thank you for the purpose and plan you have for them. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for meeting us in this room. We thank you for your presence. Let it, let it, let it never be something we take for granted. We love being with you, Jesus. In your name we pray. One more time, let's shout amen together. Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.